Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Benchtown TV. This is Brian here with Jimmy and Paul. And today we're going to be covering the Disney Plus original series, Loki. This is going to be episode six entitled For All Time Always. And we dropped our instant thoughts last week, but we want to deep dive this finale now that we've had a chance to digest and hopefully get a couple more viewings in. But we knew we couldn't do it alone, so we called in the expert, Zach the comic book guy is back at Bingetown TV, where he belongs. And this is the first time we've really talked to you about it. So I got to ask, what are your thoughts on the finale and the season, honestly? Yeah, thanks for the intro there, B-Tags. Hey, uh, course, I, uh, yeah, a week a week to think about it. I really, really enjoyed Loki uh, for a lot of the reasons that you guys already kind of got into throughout its run on Bingetown. And I think that, you know, to try to summarize my feelings on it as I've kind of let it sit, right? The, the the constant struggle of these superhero shows, Marvel shows, universe shows is that they always have to tease you with what's coming, but you can't be aware that that's what's happening while you're watching it. Like if you get to the end and it was just an advertisement for another thing and not a satisfying story in and of itself, eventually there's diminishing returns right there. And that's literally, you know, in comic books as well. Like, that's always the the constant threat of people dipping out of like, oh, just not a cliffhanger. Like, what is this? And I think Loki threaded the needle of like telling a complete character arc story about a beloved character in the movies, but giving him a completely different coat of paint while also like at the 11th hour swerving into something that catapults everything in phase four. Like it. It really, it really tried to do it all and it kind of nailed it. Zach, totally agree. And one of the cool things about the show is we, it's a character that we've known for years, like how many movies has he been in? And we got to see a completely different, like what if side of it. And I love it too. Like both are great storylines, but it's, it's crazy. Like, could you imagine the main characters, anything else like Steve Rogers being, a completely different Steve Rogers. It's it's such a random aspect. And the fact that they nailed it both times is, is I, I was not expecting it at all. This, this show just blew me out of the water. Yeah. Having a week to digest, nothing's changed from what I said last podcast episode. I loved it. We'll get into it a little bit later, whether um, I and you guys like it better than Wanda vision and fat dubs, but you know, Paul was starting to hit it already. Like, the fact that they had six episodes to give Loki, who is technically the Avengers 2012 Loki, the same but more character development than the last Loki that that died at the hands of Thanos, just got to give them props, man. I mean, the, the story arc, we talked about WandaVision and the story arc for that with Wanda, the story of her trying to get over Vision's death, the story of Fat Dubs with... Bucky and now Captain America with Bucky trying to shed the Winter Soldier moniker and Sam coming to terms with becoming Captain America. Finally, just all of these three Disney plus stories have been phenomenal. And I honestly would say that I think the character development for Loki was the best. I really do. And, and we'll, we'll maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but after a week, I, I enjoyed it just as much. Absolutely. More of the, more of the same and to go off of what you said it did a phenomenal job of giving this new loki that character development i care more about this loki now than i ever did at any point in the mcu that we knew before and that's 
kind of the whole reason they did this show, I think, is so that we as a fan base could switch gears and see him as a hero, someone we want to root for, which we were never able to during the movies, I don't think, maybe at the very end. But this reinvented the character, and it's it's awesome to see. I've said it plenty, and I've always loved Loki. I love the character of Loki, but I always saw him as obviously a villain to start and then more of like a foil slash comic relief with Thor. I never really saw him as being a main player, but I don't know how many episodes ago we said this, this, this Loki could be an Avenger one day and I would be a hundred percent down with it. It is kind of funny to think that, you know, your, your inclination is like, Hey, we've had the 2012 version of Loki for so long in our brains. Like how can they just kind of make us buy into a, you know, total swerve in his character arc in just a mere six episodes. Then it's like, well, if you think about the relative screen time, like six hours of Loki is more time than we've had from him in all the other movies combined. So actually they really did give it enough runway to function as its own story, kind of about, you know, not just like self-discovery, but also like, you know, questions of, of, of free will and like what it is that somebody as, as troubled as Loki could, could actually want to make them happy. And then, doing that in a way that like complements the previous version of him that we've known without kind of just, you know, sweeping it under the rug, like making that subtext that you want to elevate him from that role, but making that the actual point of the exercise is great. Mm-hmm. I've said it before. I honestly had very, very low expectations for Loki compared to the other three, just because I knew I was going to enjoy it. Like I, I knew it was going to be fine. I enjoy every Marvel movie. I enjoyed Iron Man too. You know, it doesn't mean I thought it was phenomenal, and I and it doesn't mean I think it's not the worst. But I still enjoyed it when I first watched it, just for what it was. I knew I was going to enjoy Loki, but I didn't expect to enjoy it this much. Um, while I have you guys talking about having a week to digest, and I know we're going to jump into major rabbit holes in a little bit when we get to Kang, let's talk a little bit about Sylvie. I want to know what you guys think about Sylvie after having a week to digest, and now that we have the entire six episodes the entire season to digest and to look back and see her character development. What do you guys think of Sylvie? Incredible. Like Sophia DiMartino's portrayal was fantastic. You effectively really didn't get the introduction of the character, you know, other than her cameo until the third episode in. And they make her such a tragic character to the point where like the, the choice she makes in the end, that is objectively the wrong thing to do. You're just like, well, of course she's going to do that. Right. Like that, like just, her ability to, you know, to portray her kind of like entire life of of loneliness and like, you know, feelings of like your existence is a mistake and you can't have any real relationships like that kind of festering, you know, self-doubt, I think, about herself. But like knowing that it was kind of foisted on her by the TVA and having that be kind of like a reflection you know, she's almost in a way a dark reflection of of the Loki, you know, quote unquote variant that Tom Hiddleston plays that, that we came to know, but in a way that's not just uh, to move the plot along in a way that like makes her, you know, somebody that you truly empathize with, even though, again, you don't even see her till halfway through the series, like just really, really well executed with, especially, you know, the, the Lamentous episode, like that kind of like you know, in retrospect, that kind of slow dance of, of kind of peeling her back and like opening her up a little bit to kind of make you uneasy about her, but then start to see things from her view, but, but never really truly believing that she could like trust anybody else. 
And lo and behold, that's how it played out in the end. Just fantastic job by both the creative staff and, and Sophia DiMartino. Yeah, it broke broke Loki's heart in the end. Kind of broke my heart. I was I was so happy for them together. So happy they figured things out. And then she just stabs Loki in the back and then stabs Kang in the chest. It was horrible. But um I don't know where she's going. I don't know. She like reminds me of Thanos right now at the beginning of Endgame. Like her whole life was this one purpose and it was to take down these people that took her life from her. Thanos's whole purpose was to get the Infinity Stones to snap. And then he did and then he went on his farm and he just chilled. So is so is Sylvie just going to like is she going to be like all right like what do I do now? Is she going to have a purpose? She's going to sit like, back, smoke a cig. Relax. Yeah, kick kick your feet up on the desk. Is she gonna try to fix it at all? Like, stay in that office and have like that little bit of power that you know he who remains was offering her. Like, I I don't know. It could it could go anywhere. But I loved her, so I just want her back. Yeah, there's still so much mystery to the character. And Jimmy, to answer your question, big thumbs up for me too. I loved Sylvia as a character. The actress Sofia DiMartino absolutely killed it. You want to talk about character development? Like Big Z said, only four episodes. And she went from this like feral alley cat who never had anybody in her corner. All she could do is push anybody away. She could not let people close to almost letting Loki in. And then, you know, I agree with you, Big Z. Of course, like she pushed him through the tempad in the end. When push comes to shove, she is incapable of trusting anybody and our loki you know he had a semi-normal upbringing as much as a god of mischief can have so he could make that heel turn and at the end he could trust her he let her in but her walls were just so high you know she just couldn't have that aha moment yet and you know we know we're getting the season two where the character is i want so much more i want to know everything about her we still don't know what the nexus event was which I would be curious to hear what all of our thoughts are on that. And I've got to say, like, while I think that there there was likely a Nexus event, I, I think now that there is an actual chance that Ravona just didn't know what it was because she was just following he who remains orders and didn't care. And that just caught so much deeper to be like, not only are you like a cosmic mistake and you shouldn't even exist, but like I can't even be bothered to worry about why you shouldn't exist. Like, that's how insignificant you are. And even though I do want to know what the Nexus event was, just to kind of show how like damaged she is that that works so well for me in this series. That was the scene where she said, mm, I don't even remember where yeah. I just knew Renslayer was bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. we were, it was still up in the air. Ooh, that was terrible. And like, yeah, and it's, and it's just a, a tragic element of like, you know, she has been alone running from apocalypse to apocalypse, literally her entire life. She has every reason to want to, you know, kill the one who created the TVA she does and then what she get for it she's alone again so it's like you know her arc just uh which is one of those ones that makes perfect like tragic character sense and then once the, the kind of like stakes are laid bare you kind of have a feeling it might go that way and then when it resolves you're like well of course it had to happen that way and those are always the best that are both surprising but also you know really couldn't have gone any other way when you when you kind of step back and think about it and it kind of just plays too into like and we'll talk about this with with kang like the whole idea of, of the variants, like I just I, I like when they kind of lean into a, a, as crazy as they can get with an alligator version or a classic version of Loki. Every variant has um, some overlap of the characteristics, kind of like 
the quote unquote, you know, prime version of the character, but the dials are kind of turned, you know, one way or the other. So like that element of, of, uh, you know, being wronged, you know, that, that Sophie felt like our Loki felt that too, knowing that he was, you know, not truly loved by Odin and like, you know, a frost giant, but, you know, maybe hers was kind of cranked up to 11 because of circumstance rendering her in, incapable of, of, you know, coming to um, a solution that benefited both of them. And like, you know, when he who remains is talking like, Hey, there's other versions than me who, who want to just conquer. They don't want to try to set things right. So, Hey, we, they all have this kind of pomposity and like intelligence about them, but I'm the one who's just trying to do the right thing and not necessarily get all the, all the grandeur. So just like the different elements of the different variants, making them react in ways that, that drive the plot forward, but also kind of hold true to each character. I thought was also just really well executed. Brian, to jump back to what do you think Sylvie's Nexus event was? Uh, we talked about it in episode five. Jimmy, you kind of blew my mind with it when we were talking about it. Showed her being a little girl playing with the Pegasus. Turns out, you know, she was probably playing with a Valkyrie. And then, yeah. And that kind of made perfect sense. Like her Nexus event was probably being a woman, being a female Loki. And you know, chances are if you're raised in Asgard, you're like a female warrior like she is. Like maybe you don't want to take the route that Thor's friend, which made an appearance in Loki, and I can't remember her name right now. Yeah, Sif? Lady Sif. Lady Sif. S- yeah. Lady Sif yeah, okay. So like unless you're like Lady Sif, you're a female raised in Asgard, you're gonna be a Valkyrie, and that's like opposite of Loki completely. So I totally think that's what her next event could be. And I just, I love it if that's what we get in season two, if we do ever get it. Zach, I actually have a question for you because right when this character was introduced, obviously they named her Sylvie, which in hindsight kind of seems like a misdirect to try and mix her up with the character that Jimmy told us about, Sylvie Lushton. What were you thinking as this series was progressing? What similarities does Sylvie in this show have to the character of the enchantress sylvie lushton and yeah. is it am i saying that right lushton yeah i think um i think this is the, the mcu doing a doing a mashup like i think yeah. watching the end of, of episode two just purely looking at her you know uh well, the cast and also like her her costume i think just like oh okay if we're gonna just you know go through my rolodex of like four villains like this must be the enchantress and then you know like the, the choice they made to almost make the entirety of episode three kind of like a bottle episode on Lamentis. Like when that was over, you're thinking like, well, there's only six episodes of this. Like they, they really, the whole premise of that was that she's a Loki variant. Like, and you, you have to take that at face value for that episode to land that she, she really can't be a comic, you know, approximation of the Enchantress. You know, it, they're kind of using her aesthetic to move forward this other plot. And I think it just turns out that that's what it was. And, you know, the Enchantress isn't some character that's so important that you can't, you know, uh, remix her a little bit. So I, I thought it worked out to, to her advantage. Yeah, I, I talked about it a little bit on the finale episode. I was saying it's so cool how they're getting these characters and then mashing them up. You know, it's so rewarding as a like first time viewer, just a casual Marvel fan. It's something that you're not expecting. But as you know the diehard comic book fans the people that were raised on the source material it's also cool because they don't really know what's coming so just wondering how do you feel about the mash characters do you do you think it's rewarding or are you upset that it's like swaying from the original i think like you know 
no matter how much I'll try to think of myself as like, uh, you know, being objective about these things. Like if you're a comic book fan, you just have some characters you like more than others. So I can sit here and go, oh, that's fine for Enchantress or uh, spoiler warning for Black Widow. That's fine for Taskmaster. But then if they right. do it to, to Wolverine, I'm going to go, oh, that's terrible. What, what, yeah. a, what a betrayal, yeah. right? So I think uh, it kind of depends uh, how, quote unquote, A-list the character is in the comics in my approximation. But 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 if they do what you said, Paul, the right way, you kind of get to to keep both fan bases entertained because it's not just like you know a straight read through of a story arc where the the comic fans know exactly what's happening next. But your ultimate service has to be in favor of the the watcher who's a little bit more casual as far as the comic background because there's far more people like that than there are diehards. Like, and if, and if the story doesn't work for them, then I don't care how great of your pastiche to this random like you know len ween comic in 1982 was like nobody gives a shit right so <laughs> yeah. i think i think they know what they're doing there and, and yeah i like sylvie a lot yeah paul going back to your talk about the nexus event and, and sylvie being a woman and that's what it could have been like you were saying about like her being a woman and her idolizing the valkyrie Renslayer herself brought up to our boy Mobius early on, I believe it was episode one or two, saying, you know, Loki on the sacred timeline is who we need him to be. He is the god of mischief. He's a POS pretty much. You know, he's arrogant. He's a backstabber, this and that. If Loki, Lady Loki, Sylvie would have became a Valkyrie, that would not be the Loki that would fit on the sacred timeline. And maybe that is why she was um, having a Nexus event. The other thing is it's hard to like think about knowing the end of this episode, knowing as long as Kang or he who remains isn't lying to us. He said he knows everything or he knew everything as it was happening and how, how it was supposed to happen. And he said he went through these timelines he went through the scenarios a million times a billion times a trillion times and what did he come up with it has to be lady loki and it has to be loki and that has to be the end game or he has to die so for all we know it could have just been like he knows that lady loki has to start her her path right here to get to him and he calls renslayer and he says here's the next event go get her this is when yeah. it needs to start so that could be literally nothing yeah. except kang saying go get her you know Right. Like if Kang is operating through, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote timekeepers, whether it actually calls a branching path or whether it's just Kang, something Kang deems to be not what is going to keep them on that ultimate path. What's the difference in the TVA's eyes? It's still, you know, grounds for them pruning somebody. Right. The funny thing about her Nexus event is that now that the TVA is busted and the timeline's broken and nobody's policing Nexus events, she kind of has this freedom and nobody cares what her Nexus event is. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't even find out what it is. Yeah, Paul, yeah. in my head, I actually agree with you. I buy into that. Her Nexus event might have been that she was a girl. I'm curious to see now that she has this quote unquote freedom, if she'll return to Asgard and try and find out who she was supposed to be or who her family is or something and we could visit like this alternate version of asgard yeah it's the, it was a quick line and it was mostly a joke but the one line where our loki is is talking to the other loki saying like you know there's is somebody out there it's it's another version of us but it's a female loki have you ever got have you guys ever seen a female loki and they're like no it sounds terrifying like the fact that 
it's so rare. And that little line right there, they've never seen one, you know, it makes me think that that is a high possibility. And before we move on, guys, I asked uh, Paul and Brian, and I want to ask you, Zach, was there any time throughout this series, whether it was before when she was cast, the rumors of there being a Lady Loki, or any time at all during the six episodes, was there any time that you thought that she may have may take Tom Hiddleston's place as the Loki of the MCU going forward. I mean, we lost Black Widow, we lost Iron Man, we lost Cat. It wouldn't be crazy to lose Tom Hiddleston's Loki and have a female take the place. I absolutely had that, maybe not expectation, but thought crossed my mind of like, maybe these Disney Plus series are all just purely a means for handing off mantles and, and here's another yeah. one. I mean, exactly. We That's what we're assuming is going to be the Hawkeye series. So. Yep. And who knows oh, if no uh, surprise that Tom Hiddleton will probably be in season two. And I can't imagine he's not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he literally came out and said, I'll be Loki forever as long as they'll have me. So oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm down with that. I mean, uh, Anthony Mackey said, I, I foresee being cat for another at least eight years or something or whatever. Go. So, Hey, I'm down with all that. All right. Well, let's just, let's get into the crazy shit right now. Um, he who remains hashtag he who remains guys. He never says it once. He's, he never says his name is Kang. We talked about the script that he was reading where it said Loki's uh, variant identification number on the script. And then it said me whenever he who remains was speaking. So there's never the confirmation, but everyone assumes and, and we have to be thinking that we're correct that Kang has joined the MCU. Zach, what were your thoughts on, on Kang actually coming in when there was so many things banging us on the head? pretty much from the beginning, but really like episode three, four, five, six, really banging us on the head. And we thought maybe it's another Mephisto. What were your thoughts with Kang actually showing up? It, it is funny that um, like, yeah, the, the narrative motions of, of WandaVision kind of made us think, all right, they're not going to take a swerve in the last act. You know, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, they're not going to take a swerve in the last act. Everything about that, I thought was still kind of in play for Loki except for the fact that like the mystery of who created the TVA was a central enough plot beat that maybe they could do something. And um, I feel like I'm pretty familiar with most of the goings on in the MCU. Like I had seen the casting of Jonathan Majors in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but that, that was about it. You know, kind of had it somewhere in the back of my brain and, you know, kind of forgot about it. And I didn't watch this episode until the day after it aired. I, I was getting crushed at work and thankfully somehow I, ended up avoiding spoilers and it's like what 10 minutes into the episode and the elevator opens and then you know lawrence is like who's that and my wife and i'm like oh man they're doing kang because i immediately yeah. you know registered wait a minute that's the guy they cast for him and i, I do wonder what the breakdown one was of people just going like the man behind the curtain is just some dude versus oh my god you know yeah <laughs> i mean if you're not knowing like we are like like in the know with kang you're literally in the dark yeah, you still don't even know it's Kang unless somebody's right. telling you online because he never even says it. Yeah, yeah. Our my reaction watching it through, I heard the actor for Kang was casted for Ant Man: Quantumania, but I didn't know who he was, didn't know what he looked like. So watching him, like you know, he's he is to me he who remains for the first little bit. But you know, they ask what his name is, and he goes, "Yo, you know, I've been called by many things. I forget what he says the first yeah. one." you know, you know, a, a king. And then the other one, he says a conqueror. And I was like, okay, so, you know, that has to be Kang the Conqueror now. Yep. Uh, I, I was really ecstatic. I thought 
you know, first off, his acting was amazing right off the bat. Didn't know anything about him, but he still blew me away. Um, so I'm super excited about that because if he's anything like, like Thanos was an unbelievable entertaining villain, unbelievably entertaining villain. Like I loved him. He, he was a dick. He was a bastard. He stabbed Tony right in the chest and then, you know, made him die in the end game. But I thought he made a really good points. And he's one of those villains that you see the, the drive behind. And, you know, if this is Kang, the conqueror, who's literally just wants to, conquer every timeline and be like the all-powerful being like that's gonna be so entertaining to watch and zach before we get into this kank thing even more so what was your all chips on the table theory before episode six happened uh i thought i thought it was going to be another variant of loki so you know it was a kind of a character study you know a journey of, of like self-actualization like can you uh, you know, forgive yourself. Can you love somebody else? Right. So like it had to have some sort of ability for, you know, our quote unquote Loki to play off of that, which is why I thought that that might be the beat of him kind of like coming face to face with a Loki that amplified all the worst parts of himself and outright rejecting that. And I still think that that's like a, you know, a, a fine story, but what we got actually, I think ended up being even better in that the conflict between the Lokis was actually between loki and sylvie and it was not one of like triumph it was one of tragedy and you have you know kang just kind of sitting there you know twiddling his fingers just like watching this kind of you know grand puppetry that he's uh presided over unfold i thought it was really cool yeah so now jonathan majors he did phenomenal in this episode he told us all about the fact that there's variants of of himself Again, he didn't say his name was Kang, but there's variants of himself, and a lot of them are a lot more evil than this one is, whether he's telling the truth or not. So we know that there's a lot of versions of Kang. I said a couple of them in the last podcast. I also said in the last podcast that I wasn't going to pretend like I was any kind of expert in this. So, Zach, (laughs) I'm sure you don't want to get too, too into it, but as nicely as you can, Give us a little uh, history of Kang from the uh, comics with his different versions that we may see. I'll do as much or as little as people are interested in. The uh, the, the one thing I do want to say uh, real quick about, um, about Jonathan Major's performance is like he had a job of having to do a huge, huge exposition dump that the entire series hinged on. And he also had to like play it as like kind of, delightfully playful and like a little bit insane and kind of, you know, like bored and, you know, all the different, like different elements that he can turn up and down. And if he didn't do that, well, I think it just would have been cheesy as all hell. And the entire climax hinged on that and he nailed it. So I was really, really appreciative of that. Um, All right. Kang the Conqueror, even for dyed in the wool comic book fans, he is uh, confusing as hell because all the best time travel stories are right. And uh, even within the Marvel Universe, depending upon what era, what editor, what writer, you have some inconsistencies with the way that the time travel rules work even there, right? So trying to square every single story to work together is an impossibility. But the summary version is that he was introduced as a villain way back in Avengers number eight. So, you know, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, like an original Avengers villain. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, an evil being from the future, you know, not too much backstory to him. Um, a little bit later in like the 200s issue of the Avengers is where 
uh, his kind of origin as being from the 31st century uh, and his real name being Nathaniel Richards gets revealed. Now, depending upon what story you read, Nathaniel Richards is a future descendant of either Reed Richards in timelines where, you know, uh, great, 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 great grandfather or whatever of Kang or Dr. Doom, because there are timelines where Invisible Woman ends up with Dr. Doom and is the descendant of that. He's more of an Avengers villain, but his backstory is very tied to the Fantastic Four. So that's kind of cool. And he has had many different variations where he goes back in time. He then tries to he tries to to conquer. So, yeah. So like the conceit of Kang is that all he, he, uh, you know, he he's the smartest man in the room and kind of likes to bloviate and hear himself talk and has like the kind of super villainous, you know, long dialogue. And, you know, every single time you encounter him. Partially, it's kind of a get out of jail free card for the writers, but also the reality of like there being so many different variants of him, because every time he goes back in time, he then might make a change that makes the version of Kang that was already in that time, then travel to another timeline and do something differently. So you have him in the far, far future where he's known as Immortus. And it's like, well, that's a variant of the one that originally came back into ancient Egypt to be Rama Tut, who I don't even know if he was conceived as an original if Rama Tut was conceived as Kang when he was first introduced, but they, they had that reveal a little bit later that, oh, he was Kang all along. The Scarlet Centurion is another uh, ver- villain version of him that fought the Avengers that was later revealed to have been a future version of Kang. In more recent time, Iron Lad from the Young Avengers is a young version of Kang that a more benevolent future version of Kang went back in time to try to convince him to become Kang earlier to stop a worse version of Kang, but then in rebelling against that and killing the worst version of Kang, he then becomes the version of Kang that came back to tell him to become Kang. Oh my so, goodness. you know, there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. Your mileage may vary as to how much you like it. I think the character is uh, very, very novel because if he's written right, he's just like funny, how kind of like ridiculous he is, but also how uh, kind of, scary he can be because a lot of like the time travel stories you'll find are people kind of oh i'm goofing around like you know you know ben grimm fell on dr doom's time portal and he's back in uh camelot (laughs) days like what a wacky story right whereas kang it's not just that he can time travel like he is good at it like he finds joy in having these machinations that span different timelines and centuries because he just wants to show how kind of smart he is that he can orchestrate these things that happen in these really elaborate ways. And sometimes it doesn't land, but other times it's really, really cool. So he's just a, a really interesting villain, not just in terms of like what the creation of the multiverse and the MCU means or what they can do for the other properties, but just purely as somebody who they want to make a, a multi-movie threat. I think he's got enough like depth and like chutzpah to be able to kind of carry some of these like longer term plans through multiple movies and have it be actually interesting. So what are his powers then besides superhuman intelligence? Does he just make all of his own shit and he's so good at it that he just makes his suit the strongest period? Uh, Yeah. Like he may have have powers in different story arcs because of him going to this time and discovering this technology from this ancient race that lets him do this, that, or the other. But he's just a, he's a man at at the end of it. Like he is a, a super genius and he, depending upon which version of him, he has traveled through time enough times to 
you know, age himself, you know, thousands of years over. Or sometimes you run into like the younger variant of Kang, like Iron Lad. But yeah, he's just a he's just a dude. Do you think it's a possibility that like we already know he's going to be in next Ant-Man movie? Do you think that Kang could be a different variant of a Kang we may see in, you know, the next Avengers film? I think that's a certainty. I think like the specific version of this Kang that we saw at the as he who remains is dead and yeah. we're going to see a variant of Kang or multiple variants of Kangs as things progress. And I was reading online that people were actually thinking that if you had to put a name on this Kang, that this one may have been the Immortus version. What do you think yeah, about it, that? It could be. I mean, I think he said that he, if I recall correctly, he, he said he himself was from the 31st century mm-hmm. and the, the quote unquote, like Kang prime was from the 31st century, but then discovered the technology to be able to go back in time Here's a paradox for you because he came into contact with another version of himself who was Kang the Conqueror that he didn't know was himself that he got the technology from. There's a whole lot of that kind of thing going yeah, on. And you're like, wait, yeah. wait, which wait, which one did like the answer is they both did. So yeah. he, he could be either side of that coin. <laughs> okay. So Zach, you're telling us all this and you're explaining how actual confu- actually confusing <laughs> it is. So <laughs> you were telling me off podcast that. Yep. This is kind of whether you want to say ballsy, weird, you know, some kind of a move by Marvel that it, it'll land probably just because it's Marvel. But with all this confusion, how do you make this happen in, a, in the right way where casual fans can just sit there and, and realize they're, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to go see a popcorn movie, you know, and we don't want them to think. But at the same time, they don't want, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan or something. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I so I think we are at the time where it's no longer just kind of like this uh, high sci-fi navel gazing, like Donnie Darko style time travel stories. Like there's enough pop culture, Doctor Who type stuff where, you know, loss, like your average viewer is, is aware of time travel stories to the point where it's not off putting just on its face. Right. Right. So then, okay. So you clear that hurdle. Now it's a question of execution and time travel is the ultimate. If you do it well, it's awesome. If you do it poorly, it's dog shit. So you really need to be like, I think why it's ballsy is that if you think about like Marvel versus DC, like the multiverse is really a, a staple of DC. That is like one of the most famous stories is like crisis on infinite right. earth, right? But the, the whole, the whole concept that there's different versions of the superheroes is kind of like baked into the DNA. Marvel has had storylines dealing with the multiverse because you got 70 years of comics. So you're going to try a bunch of different things, but it's, it's never been as central. To, you know, Marvel has always like been, yeah, we can do these crazy stories, but like we want to be the world outside your window with a twist. Right. So if you're really, really leaning into the cosmic stuff because you like what kind of storytelling opportunities it affords you with like, Oh, now we can get, Andrew Garfield in here and we can pull the X-Men in like I, I'm not saying this is what's happening but I can just see like you know the people counting the, counting the dollars going oh this is phenomenal this is just a springboard to do whatever we want and it can be it can also be the way to fuck everything up so like you really need to very clearly establish how it works there's all kinds of superhero rules and logic that you can hand wave but this is not one of them <laughs> 
Yeah, and I will say that there is big news out there that Kevin Foggy and Marvel have been having specific meetings to see how, <laughs> to talk about how this multiverse is going to work and to make I, sure it's going to make sense. That's the level it needs to be because, yeah. I mean, you got inconsistencies in the way it works in Marvel Comics itself, so you better have a unified approach to how time travel and how multiverse because we're not like there are no quote unquote variants anymore. If there's no, if the sacred timeline was not some inherently occurring thing and just, you know, the doings of Kang, like you can have 20 different versions of any character jump on the screen at the same time. If you just start, you know, trying to go crazy with it without worrying about how you put the genie back in the bottle. My last big question for you, Zach, about Kang is, do you see him as a Thanos or do you see him as like maybe a phase four villain and then phase five, you know, we'll, we'll move on. You know, Thanos was one through three. I mean, he was there underlying for 10 years. Do you see Kang being something that big or do you just think he'll last multiple movies, but he's not going to go that long? Um I could see him maybe going that long in terms of like raw runtime, just because of how much content we get these days. Yeah. But actual like number of years, I don't think anything will, because it's just a different kind of, you know, streaming landscape these days. Like, mm -hmm. like what Marvel did with phases one through three was very much like of a time that I just don't think will ever be repeated. And I don't even think that they're going to try to one up themselves. They're going to try to do it differently. Right. Yeah, if you th if you just think about like, is he a big enough bad to kind of like, you know, hold Thanos's jockstrap? Like the the truth of the matter is, if we're being real honest about ranking our favorite Marvel villains, I think most people are going to go through Spider Man's Rose Gallery and the X Men villains before they really start getting into the Avengers villains. I mean, I love Thanos, but like, who who are the biggest Avengers villains? Right, Thanos, Kang, Ultron. Like, they're all pretty cool. Then you start getting into like you know really kind of you know second tier stuff like the wrecking crew and it's like yeah. you know there's really if, if they want every big bad to be an avengers originating bad guy because of you know whatever the rights are with sony and because they're not ready to introduce the x-men yet then yeah kang's as good as any kang versus thanos with an infinity gauntlet who wins uh, well, if they go to the null time zone, then Kang wins because Infinity Gauntlet just had stones just paperweights there, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Kang just keeps changing the timeline so that he messes up, messes with Thanos grabbing the, the stones. <laughs> um, all right. I mean, is, do you guys have any other Kang thoughts before we start getting into talking about the rest of the show in general and the series in general? No, um, I just agree with what Zach was saying. You know, you it's awesome that you're doing, you know, time travel, but you got to do it right. You know, we talked about it in WandaVision. You, you have to establish what the boundaries of the this power is. Like, you know, with magic, we're like, okay, there's basically no boundaries because it's magic. But at the same time, you know, how are you giving Ralph this necklace that's going to give him the powers of Quicksilver? That just like does inherently doesn't make sense. So I'm excited for it. I think they've been nailing it so far in Loki. I just hope that they stick with the consistency because consistency is what makes good franchises great. Yeah, the first, the first step was sticking the landing in season one of Loki, and they totally did it. So I trust them going forward. And I mean, they had pretty much like a 15 minute 
exposition dump, like you said, of Kang just explaining and explaining. And I think they did a really, really good job with that. How cool was that little animation of his that came out of the temp pad <laughs> was just showing off? I thought that was so cool. Um, I love how like the timelines also circled around him because mm-hmm. like literally and figuratively, everything he does makes it kind of go back around again around his actions. <laughs> The world literally revolves around right. him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys don't mind, I want to talk about someone who didn't seem like the most major of characters, but Ravona Renslayer is one of the characters that I had so many question marks about since episode one, and she left through the tempad armed with files that were given to her from kang assumedly because miss minute said you know he thinks these will be more useful so she was given some piece of information and then sent on her way and she also said to mobius i am going in search of free will but earlier in the conversation she, she said the only one excuse me only one person gets free will and that's the person in charge so is she trying to take the path to locate the ruler of the tva would she run into Sylvie then? I think you're onto something there too. Now that, <laughs> no, now that you say that too, like uh, I think this might be the, the part of the podcast where we we actually try to get into the the dynamics of like how this works. If you guys are good with that, like okay, do it. Like, Let's do it. All right, I'm, I'm gonna give this a shot here. All right, so Kang presents them with a with a choice, and it may actually be a false binary, right? Like right. We, we do know that they are at the literal end of time. But we don't know that the only two outcomes were necessarily they take over for him or they kill him. That was kind of how he posited it. But like what we do definitively know is that after his death, the multiverse gets created, except for the fact that there must have been a a, it's like whose past are we talking about here? But like the multiverse already existed as a as the normal state of beings, normal state of things, given the machinations of the other versions of himself that he already defeated and then get it back into the state right so Mm -hmm. presumably he gets to like that moment where he okay now he doesn't know what happens because he ran through the scenario with varying levels of success enough times to where like okay this one's completely off all right now i got one loki but that one like he kept doing it until finally he said okay now these are the two and then i come up to this point where that the last time this happened i time traveled but this time i didn't Therefore, I actually don't know what's happening now. Like that was my read on how that works. Right. Did you guys agree? I agree. So yep. like, so if if that's the case, then whoever is in these branches at the time the multiverse is reintroduced, right? The brand, the people that were in the branches that already is like the small deviations that were kind of kept in check on the sacred timeline, right? They stayed intact, but the other branches that had been called by what he had done previously came back. But the TVA is in the null time zone that exists outside of time. So I don't think at the very end we get like, like I don't think the Mobius we know exists anymore because I think he was actually overwritten. But they were very conscious to make Renslayer go through a portal to go out onto one of the branches because they, they wouldn't just give her that final scene of stepping away to then just erase her like that version never existed, right? So if she's going towards Sylvie and the TVA got kind of reset, but the other branching timelines didn't, that could make sense. Okay, so you're actually saying here that Sylvie pushed Loki back to the TVA 
our our actual theory was that she messed up or or the multiverse kind of screwed it up and he just went to a, the wrong timeline. So you're saying she sent him through back where he was supposed to go, but it's rewritten because everything got screwed up. I think she sent him like, quote, back to where he's supposed to go. But if the TVA exists outside of time and then she killed Kang, which made the multiverse happen, which means the multiverse already happened in the version of the world where the TVA could then go and not have to prune the branches anymore because they can't be pruning the branches if Kang is dead because Kang never told it. Like she sent him back to what she thought was a place that doesn't exist anymore because of the way the TVA exists outside of time. So so basically you're saying that you ruined our lives telling us that our boy Mobius is gone. Hey man. I, I mean, that, that was to me, that was my read on the gut punch ending is like, not only is it bad for Loki that Mobius doesn't know who he is, but I think we lost that version of Mobius. Too. Okay, so my thing was actually, I was like, wow, what a freaking coincidence for Marvel that B-15 and Mobius just so happened to be talking in a whole different timeline. But they were talking last time we saw them, and if it's rewriting the whole thing, they're still talking. That was and my read on it. Damn, yeah. you just freaking ruined my <laughs> life, dude. Our boy Mobius is not going to ever be on a wave runner again. Uh, it, it's a theory like any other one, but I, I, I feel like they took great pains to show how they were outside of the goings on of the quote sacred timeline. Okay. So Ravona was in the TVA, you know, before everything got reset. And then when she left and she's going to look for power, do you think he's going to a different timeline. She's going to, because Brian, you know, she, Brian told us Verona Renslayer in the comics, famously known as Kang's, you know, female counterpart, like a, like wife he, girlfriend. Like, yeah. He like is in love with her and he like lets her father run like a dominion under his in the year 40 million, whatever. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so like, what are the chances? You know, she said the only one who has free will is, you know, the one who runs it all. I'm going to find free will. I'm going to find Kang. I'm going to find a version of Kang. And, you know, if she goes to Kang in one timeline, it's like, Hey, I know who you are. I know what you're trying to do. I just so happened to run the TVA. So I know a lot about different timelines and who's vulnerable and where the weak spots are and where you need to prune. So what say you, we get together and basically Ravona is just attaches herself to the only one who has free will Kang. So she seeks out Kang and, you know, I think she's seeking out, she's seeking out a version of Kang that was at an earlier point in linear time in what was the sacred timeline, because if enough different versions of Kang existed that traveled around enough to then start the multiversal war, some number of them landed in the quote sacred timeline at different times. So she's going to try to go find that Kang to now change what happened in the future, except that that timeline she's on now, now just branched off because of what happened. But also because of what happened, that timeline was always branched off because, well, maybe a, one of the other Kangs that now could do something because that Kang's dead went back further in time and branched it off further. So, who you know, she's off in God knows where and like the cosmic map yeah. of what's happening. But I think she's looking for Kang. A branch and a branch and a branch. And yep. she's going to poke a hole in that condom. And then she's going <laughs> to jump forward in time when the baby's grown. And then <laughs> it's going to be a whole family takeover. There you go. Nailed it. 
All right, oh, yeah. I was going to bring this up later, but we might as well talk about it now because we're getting into this kind of stuff. So there's a theory on Reddit about, Zach, you already kind of talked about maybe he wasn't telling the full truth. There might, mm-hmm. may not have just been two options here. He's saying, one, Sylvie and Loki take over, or two, you kill me and you start the multiversal war, right? Right. He was saying it at one point, I don't know what's going to happen next. And he had some phenomenal acting where he's like, oh, shit, what's happening? You know, what's going to happen? The Reddit theory was what if he was lying in a way where what if he didn't know what was going to happen next and he was kind of manipulating the situation where you do see when he says i don't know what's going to happen next he specifically pushes the temp pad to the edge of the table so that sylvie can get to it when she needs to get to it so what look at brian's face baby look at that face (laughs) okay well you could say it was intentional or you could say it was just pushing it there to like relinquish power like no i am if i have this i can defend myself he was egging her on more than quote unquote our loki though (laughs) like he knew that she would be the more likely one to do it if he wanted it done yeah so obviously when we say it's a theory it's a theory because it can go either way brian and i and i uh am still on the, the the point where i agree with you but the end of the theory says what if he pushed it towards the end of the table knowing that that's where it needed to be that so she could grab it and stab loki in the back and get to this point knowing that the original multiversal war may or may not have happened, but he wants the second one to happen so that all these Kangs can finally take over and whatever, because he's a part of the Kang squad, you know, the Citadel of Rick. So like, if, if that's the deal, he did know what was going to happen next. He pushed the tempad, Sylvie backstabs him. She kills him. He says, I'll see you later. And now the multiversal war starts and Kang's back on the throne. Here's the thing. I'm like, pissed because yeah i buy into that why why the hell not jim i've said it before you're good for like one brain melting theory on all of these <laughs> mcu freaking episodes it's awesome though yeah 100 percent. i could buy into that but when i was reading the episode as it was going no i didn't catch that i thought he was just relinquishing his power but that would be consistent with what i know about the character of kang i would see what do you think yeah no i mean uh you could take what he says at face value, but everything about that introduction is kind of, you know, tilted enough where he could definitely be an unreliable narrator. I don't think going down that path is like out of out of line with the kind of Kang stories that, that are very commonly told. And I, and I also just think kind of like if you think too hard about he's at the physical end of time, if you think of time as like a line, right? So mm-hmm. like. This is a world-weary, tired... So, so, all right, let's look at the two different options. If we take what he's saying at face value, where he is benevolent to a, a degree in that he wanted to put a stop to the versions of himself that knew what he knew, that had the ability to time travel like him, but wanted to do more nefarious things with it. And the way he saw fit to do that, to stop the variance of himself from ever manifesting and you know, presumably variants of anything else that could potentially challenge him was to make the sacred timeline. If we take that at face value, right, that he's been been orchestrating this for a really long time, and he seems kind of like the kind of, you know, the Kang is the kind of person that that he wants the glory, he wants to be revered, he wants people to know how smart he is. And we could look at this as kind of like, hey, he's at the end of the world, Nobody even knows that he he did this this big heroic sacrifice. Like, 
what's in it for him, right? Like eventually, even though he's a time traveler, he's going to die of old age. And then what's to stop another version of himself that is on a more slowly branching out timeline, you know, in, in the absence of him giving direction to the TVA from going and doing the same thing all over again, if he thinks that inherently some evil version of himself is always going to challenge him, right? right? Like, so, okay, there's the charitable reading of why he may just want to be like, look, I just need somebody to take my place, you know, straight up like uh, lost style with the, trying to find a guy to protect the island at the Somebody's end. Somebody's right? got to press the button, man. Somebody's got to press the button. Somebody's got to do this instead of me and keep it going. We, we could give it that read. But like if we're if we're to take that face value, then like you said, Jim, like, OK, so the multiversal war already happened and he was the last Kang standing and he vanquished those Kangs and pruned those timelines. Right. So that there was only like this one version of himself remaining. Then like there, if time is if you think of it as like being linear and not the circle around him. It's like starts off with one timeline naturally occurring branches off into more and more and more and more and more and more until it hits a, a point where it then goes back to one because like, oh, here's the here's the first multiversal war on the chart. And here's where he stopped it. And here's all the lines of him jumping back in time X number of times to fight this version of himself and fight that version of himself. Right. Mm -hmm. OK, so I think I know where I'm going with this. But bear, bear with me here. <laughs> so so like if those previous naturally occurring branches existed in the quote unquote past in linear time. Right. Right. But the entire ability for those branches to now form is only in a reality where the TVA either doesn't exist or is not being given the same directive because this Kang is not there to do it. Right. And doesn't it like circle back around on itself or like, well, these previous branches are like, they they always happened so if somebody from one of the branches now travels into the future because one of the kangs in the further future traveled into the past i i mean it's like yeah like it's, it's not like they went away and they never existed again because you were prevent like they kept trying to naturally occur and right. you were kind of keeping them in line and as soon as like he dies it's not like oh like they're watching from the end of time Look at these branches form. But as soon as Loki goes back in time, he's in a version of the TVA where there's been millions of branches and there always has been and there never right. hasn't been. So uh, does that mean that the Kang that is now running the TVA like never encountered the Kang that now got killed by Sophie? Or was this? It, I don't know. It's too hard to say. Right. You just fried my brains, dude. <laughs> This is the kind of thing that happens. Yeah, man. well, that's I mean, that's why it's going to be funny to see how Marvel decides to explain all these things because they obviously had Kang explain pretty well in his monologue what the deal is with him. But anytime something happens with some kind of time jump, they're either going to have to show it or explain it every single time. And that's where yeah. you're getting ballsy. Absolutely. Because if we had to believe that this Kang knew everything was going to happen because he was such a experienced traveler and had been to all these different periods, right? Then like through this Kang singular experience, he had ventured to branches that don't exist anymore because he put a stop to the multiversal war. Right. Right. But like they had to have existed because he had to have gone to them to get into to stop. We could have created a TV. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the paradox is coming. So now are you saying that they could bring those previous 
timelines back into the mix because they had to have existed at some point. So Not only could they bring period. those previous timelines back in the mix, but Kang from the point in time where he was in that timeline, but hadn't yet created the TVA. If he's now made aware that this version of Kang that did is dead because another further future one, like Immortus comes back. What's that Kang going to do? <laughs> like you start multiplying them. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was crazy where people were posting and on Binstown TV, Instagram, I reposted something similar where it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's just showing the, the multiverse and showing all the branches and they're just saying, all right, here's agents of shield. Here's, here's, you know, all the different movies. Here's Sony, here's Fox yeah. X-Men. You know, it's just like everything now exists, everything exists and you can do whatever you want with it. Now, I want to take that soundbite and propel us into talking about what if, because that is the next series that they're coming out with. And now because of this multiverse stuff, all of it could be canon. Yes. So they Tom Hiddleston himself has come out and said that what if, even though it's animated, obviously will have to do with the MCU. It's not necessarily just going to be, hey, what if here's the end of the episode and we're done with it? You know, certain things might have to do with the phases and the actual MCU as a whole. To me, that that's crazy. I don't know exactly how they're going to do it, but, you know, it's endless possibilities. And now I'm even more excited for the show. Absolutely. That's the biggest thing that that exponentially raises the hype around that show, because I know it matters. And that's that makes me invest more into it. All that's right, guys. The same stick they pull with the comic book, too, where it's like, yeah, it's a what if story, but. Uatu, the watcher from our timeline, is like narrating it. So, what if you know? What if he says that uh, it's an important timeline to impact the current books? You know, keep reading. They can do that kind of thing. I mean, that's the thing because now we talked about it. This Loki is directly affecting the next at least three things that are coming out. You know, what if comes out? I, I feel like how can that not just be different timelines of things happening that are the branches that occurred now that we're not pruning different branches you know right all these next events are uh you know uh t'challa becomes star lord and 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 i think spider-man has uh what is it spider-man has um dr strange's powers i think or you know i I can't remember exactly what the scenarios are but how can they not be based on these you know different branches and also we know that there's going to be some multiverse of man this is going to be multiverse of freaking madness okay we know quantum man is yeah, we know Quantumania is going to be directly affected by a Kang and also will deal with the multiverse. And we already know that Spider-Man 3, No Way Home, is going to have to deal with all this, too. And we talked about the fact that people were saying, where's our trailer? Where's our trailer? Well, you can't give a trailer yet because you had to wait for Loki to end because you yep. it won't make sense without Loki. You know, um, that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. So how can this not make sense that? They're just variants. Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, they're variants. Why is Doc Ock alive? Well, it's a different variant of the same Doc Ock, but a different universe. You know, why is Electro Jamie Foxx, but he's not going to be blue? You know, well, it's a variant of him. You know, it's how everything's going to make sense now. And and it's phenomenal. It's going to be really awesome. Again, as long as it makes sense and as long as they don't kill it. You know, it is going to, it does seem to me that, For me, I'm just full of excitement for the next couple movies, but I'm just wondering at what point can they stop or does it get too crazy? Because they're going to have to obviously have a million more movies come out. And are they all going to have to deal with multiverse stuff now? Are they all going to have to deal with timeline stuff now? I think they shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Just like every every hero can kind of tap into like a different genre. Like I want Shang-Chi to be, you know, a like – 
modern kung fu movie. I don't want it to deal with the multiverse, but you, you get to also have things that are entirely about the multiverse and like the spectacle of it. Right. And as long as like that becomes central to the plot of that particular project and not just like, hey, you know, we're we're doing, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Ironheart. And here's just random uh, appearance of a, a version of Tony Stark from you know, the timeline. It's like, well, that yeah. doesn't really do anything for me. Well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. So how quick do you think they're going to use the cop out? And bring back somebody. <laughs> I could see Scarlet Witch being back. Ba- or Scarlet Witch. I'm sorry, Scarlet Johansson being back pretty quickly as Black Widow. Even though they gave her a, I actually haven't seen Black Widow yet, but I heard they gave her a nice send off, and so did Endgame and everything. They did. But, they did. Yeah. Um, they've said it a million times that they want to use her again, and they wish they could bring Scarlet Johansson back. How quick do you got? I mean, Yelena Belova, I heard was awesome, and she's going to kind of take that spot. But, you know, whether it's bringing back Tony, whether it's bringing back uh, Cap, you know, how quick and when, you know, when do you think it's going to happen? I mean, the truly kind of like depraved thing would be like, oh, here's a variant over everything we knew, except that Hawkeye was the one who jumped off the in, in Infinity War. And it's like, OK, I guess you could do that. But that takes a bit of the gravitas away from her. So hopefully they're not so brazen with it. Yeah, I, I really hope they don't. Uh, I mean, if it if they do, hopefully it's like in Endgame where they just see uh, Tony Stark's father for like a little bit for a section. I hope that like if they do that, it'll be Chris Chris Rogers, geez, Steve Rogers. They'll see Steve Rogers as Captain America um, just for like a little bit. But I really hope they don't bring him back. Then it's like, what's the point of the amazing send off and funeral and happy endings that you give him in the first place? They, they confirmed that Chris Evans is going to be back. And I already brought up the fact that I think he would be the perfect scroll, you know, like bring him back. And um, I mean, he's not. So technically, I guess he's not dead. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, you know, um, he's he's on the moon. Right. So yeah, he's, on the, moon. <laughs> he's uh, on the moon. But yeah, we're going to be dealing with variants, scrolls. I mean, it's it might get a little cray in the next couple of years. Zach, uh, I had one other question regarding the comics and uh, references to it. Uh, so this series, Loki gave us a bunch of Nexus events. Jimmy reminded us of Wanda being the, a Nexus being, we find out. So from the comics, what kind of is a Nexus being? Um, we already know, you know, Wanda is more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme, and she's kind of like the main, you know, mystic energy for her own universe. So the the concept of a Nexus being, I guess it originated in the Avengers, and Wanda is typically the example they use, but it's like, because her powers were kind of described as like hex powers, right? Like Nexus beings have a million times magnified ability to affect probability and the future than non-nexus being counterparts to the point where like that you know if you think about like you know uh you know one person you know stepping on the wrong leaf in one timeline you know how much ripple does that make whereas a nexus being can take a single action that can warp like multiple threads throughout the multiverse and they can kind of experience those multiple threads throughout the multiverse they're kind of you know, in tune with it. They're not just solely kind of locked into one time frame. So I think that kind of gives them almost like, you know, 
a cosmic undo button. I don't think they have this plan, but if they ever decide they want to put the, like I said, the multiverse genie back in the bottle. I think Wanda is the, the key to do it. All right. So we have a couple round table questions that we want to bring to the four of us. Uh, the first one is, are there any outstanding questions or theories that you have? So ma- the first thing is mainly questions. What is left that wasn't answered good enough for you or that is getting you excited for season two? Yeah, honestly, I would just say what's good with our Loki and what troubles are going to present him in this new version of the TVA. We knew how much of a pain it was for him dealing with them when he was first being processed and introduced in episode one. He is now in a position where he's going to have to try and win over this Mobius and B-15 who don't know who he is. And we know how they treat variant Lokis at the TVA. So he could find a lot of difficulties there. And he's also under Kang's watch now, not these mystical timekeepers. So the entire dynamic of the TVA could be different. And I'm kind of of the belief that there is only one TVA that does exist outside of time. And what Big Z was saying, I think it just kind of got rewritten. And that is what the deal is. It's kind of the same entity, but now there is no figurehead that is the timekeepers. It's just Kang the Conqueror. And I think this Kang the Conqueror is going to be a lot less nice than the one we just met. So, and that's the thing that excites me so much about Kang is the wide range of variants that we're going to see. I don't even think all of them are going to be bad. I'm sure there are going to be one or two that are indifferent or sympathetic to the Avengers, and they're going to need him to fight the Kangs that aren't. I think it's, it's just so fun. But the biggest question for me is definitely what's Loki going to do next. Yeah. I love that. Um, My biggest question besides what you just said is I want to hear confirmation of what Zach said that the rewriting happened and they're going to have to give us that explanation somehow. I think so. Because people are going to say, okay, well, where's our Mobius? Where's our B-15? The other thing I'm wondering, and I think Paul, you were going to probably bring this up too. And Zach, you haven't heard us talk about it yet. And I haven't asked you yet. So what was the deal with Sylvie's plan where she kept sending all those time bombs through the gates And we never really saw what happened with them, except for the fact that they distracted everyone. I mean, yeah, you guys said that on Bingetown. I'm listening and going like, yeah, what what was the deal with that? If it was really so scary, why were they able to clean it up so quick? I mean, like, family guy was like, my mother's coming for one week. Man, that was a crazy week. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, we cleaned up on those bombs. That was nuts. Anyway. (laughs) I mean, they were showing the craziness that we saw at the end of episode six, where things were starting to branch, and they're going, holy shit. And all this stuff's starting to blow up in their face pretty much on the screen. And we talked about how the screen was showing all the different times and location that the bombs were going to and the branches were being shown and we just never really got that. So I'm wondering if that's even yeah. going to be addressed or. I, I think that might just be dropped. And I think we kind of saw from Sylvie that like, okay, it starts off. She doesn't have some grand master plan. She's just kind of running from apocalypse to apocalypse, trying to kind of stay one step ahead, stay alive. And this is kind of like the first steps of her, like, you know, trying to enact, whatever kind of revenge she can just to kind of piss them off. So if you want me to believe that it was just kind of like, you know, Hey, she's just trying to to weaken them to be able to potentially get at the timekeepers, but all she's doing is just stealing their, their bombs to try to, you know, set off at a bunch of different spots on the sacred timeline to have the greatest chance of causing, you know, branches and they have to go 
like clean up to maybe give her an opening to give the timekeepers. Right, right. I'll believe that, but I would have liked a little bit, you know, more uh, actual text about that and not yeah. subtext. Agreed. Yeah, one of my biggest things, uh, questions that I just have no idea. We've talked about it. Zach, you kind of blew our minds a little bit, fried them a little bit, but what is the deal with the TVA moving forward? Like, is the TVA outside of time and, you know, literally from the moment that all right, let me let me word this correctly. <laughs> it's tough. The timeline that Ravona left from, what happens to that TVA? Does right. it not exist anymore? Or is it saying like you go back and it's rewritten? Um, is there more than one TVA? Do they exist like outside of time? Are they? It, it, it's just so confusing that I want them to give me an answer just so we know what we could possibly expect for upcoming. It, yeah. Now, like thinking about this out loud, I can't see it not being what Zach said because I can't see how there is more than one TVA based on the definition of the TVA. Mm-hmm. And if that right. is true, then the then it can't be like, hey, we pushed you into it the wrong timeline or a weird multiversal timeline. There wouldn't be another TVA there. So he's going back to the TVA. It's just a rewritten version. And now Kang's the, the leader. And like, I, I think to, to kind of piggyback on what all you guys said, my, my question too, and I, I think it is one that it's going to be a, a, a front and center question in season two is like, okay, what is the remit of this version of the TVA? Like, if the multiverse clearly now exists, and at the time he now comes back in, it has existed for some time because time's not linear. And if that Kang wasn't alive anymore to stop the Kang that now can go right before he created the TVA and do something different with it, like, was this a version of the TVA that originally tried to prune and then was taken, you know, under new management and failed? Is this one that is actively trying to do something completely different? And, you know, Kang doesn't need to have the charade of the middleman of the, uh, of the timekeepers to have this kind of like religious element to make them believe they just follow him because he rules with an iron fist. I think they'll answer all that, but we, I mean, I have no idea. And to go off of that, you know, what's, what's good with Miss Minutes? My girl. She She's lives outside done. of time too, right? I, yeah. I guess because if she can, if she can be the the middleman between between Renslayer and Kang, like she's that version of her still has to exist, right? Because that the, the multiverse existed and then was contracted in the past too. She presumably existed then. Yeah, right. Like she's a program. So how much did she change? Yeah. Like if you go forward in time and back in time, theoretically it should be the same, unless it's you know it's a learning. AI or whatever. Now you're just digging yourself deeper in a hole. Yeah. But it really was ambiguous how much self-awareness Miss Minutes had. You know, she worked for He Who Remains, but you know, could she think and act by herself? Like, kid, she run away from the TVA and somehow end up somewhere else in the timeline. I don't know if she doesn't ever show up again. It's perfectly fine with me. She'll I thought show she was, up, dude. I thought she was it's cool. So popular, I hope they're she... going to add her back in, dude. I hope so. <laughs> it almost seems as though she was a piece of technology that Kang would have created to assist mm. himself, a la how Tony created Jarvis, and Jarvis. then he became a sentient AI. Yep. That could yeah. certainly be something that uh, someone like Kang would be capable of, but okay. be able to reel in and then have okay. it be an ally just from the start. I buy that. I like that a lot. There is definitely that like mad inventor 
side of Kang, you know, to, mm-hmm. to kind of do what, what Tony would do mixed with Dr. Doom mixed with Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. <laughs> like yeah. All those things <laughs> mixed with Reed Richards. Yeah. Someone oh. just said Reed Richards and this episode, I don't think we touched on it in the instant reaction, but this episode had a very unique opening title sequence. And one of the Easter eggs in that was a spaceship that flies by very briefly. Very cool. Everybody thinks it's a fantastic four reference. Everybody and their mother, Jimmy. I didn't Everybody even notice that, and I'm convinced you're right now that you said that. <laughs> That's del- just a very deliberate choice to put that in there. Yeah. I mean, I th- they had quotes from almost every character from the MCU um, in the opening scene, and they went real deep. So I wouldn't be surprised if we were getting introduced to some of the you know, the big lines, secret lines they threw in in there. Those characters are going to come back and make a big appearance. Cosmic rays, baby. Let's go. Yeah, Yeah, right. Where's Galactus at, dude? (laughs) He's coming. Don't worry. All right, guys. So we talked about our outstanding questions. Let's finish this off strong with a series grade for Loki. Um, We'll do like we did for WandaVision and Fat Dubs. We'll do uh, letter grades. I don't remember exactly what everyone else put for their letters. I, I believe I remember mine. So let's get this party started. Brian, we started with you last time. Let's do it. Oh, started with me last time. So start again. I would have thought I got to go last. But <laughs> Brian, we started I'm... with you last time. You get to go last. Big <laughs> yeah. Z, you're up first. No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah. Luckily, I'm locked and loaded with my answer. So I didn't cover WandaVision with you guys, but I probably I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I would have given that a BB plus. Okay. This, however, I've said it before, was similar to WandaVision, but just nailed it all. This was significantly better, so I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it an A. Yeah. Might as well just uh, rate the three shows, right? Yeah. While you're at it, Brian. Yeah, our last question was going to be Wanda versus Fat Dubs versus Loki, so you might as well add that to your series grade. So what do you think? I'll I'll give Fat Dubs a B, a B flat. WandaVision will give the B plus, and then this we're going to give just a solid A. Okay. So uh, I just re-listened to our WandaVision finale. Um, I gave. How did we do? Yeah, we were pretty good. All right, cool. That Paul guy has a sexy voice. He does. But I uh, I gave Wanda a B minus, I believe. You did. Um, and that was because it had some inconsistencies that you know. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, the big one that we bring up, I brought it up earlier, Agatha's powers and how kind of inconsistent it was giving Ralph the powers of Quicksilver and then Quicksilver, you know, flipping, flicking Monica Rambo across the room one scene. And then, you know, later that episode, she gets the jump on him and somehow he's not fast enough. Yeah to react to it and takes him over. There, there was things like that where it, it just kind of, it was, it was almost insulting watching it and having the episode and be like, you're just supposed to accept it. And it's like, wait, that doesn't make sense. We just saw the scene earlier that she couldn't do that because he was a strong. So I, I don't know. I still loved it. Um, you know, B minus whatever I gave it. Falcon and the winter soldier. I gave it an A. Um, and I loved that. I mean, it was so good, but there was, you know, a few things that didn't make sense. Again, 
Um, Sam was going to die to Carly, if not for Sharon stopping it. It's like, what the hell? And, you know, we, we talked about it a lot. The fact that Sharon, the power broker, gave up her golden goose, her Dr. Nagel, who was creating the super serum, gave it away too easily. That wasn't a power broker move. And then right. a few episodes later, we're supposed to be like, all right, so she is the power broker in control of everything. Um, that didn't make too much sense to me. Um, Loki just knocked it out of the park. I wasn't expecting anything, and it blew me away. Without a doubt, my favorite of the three. I, I mean, I have to give it an A. I couldn't really find anything too wrong with it, to anything that bothered me nearly as much as that from those other um, shows. So, you know, I, A, I don't want to give it an A+, plus just because I'm re- reserving that for something that really blew me away. Um, but I had the lowest of expectations and I am coming away like ecstatic for season two. Yeah, Brian, it's funny. We were talking about that this last night on the Rick and Morty podcast when we're saying you have to rank from one to 10 and we're going, why, why are you doing decimals? Why are you doing points? Because you don't want to get too high and then not have room for improvement. And that's kind of where you got stuck at there, Paul, because if I was you and I had a for fat dubs, then I'd have to give the a plus to Loki. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was a, a WandaVision lover, maybe apologist, sticking with my A minus there. Uh, I was not on the final episodes of episode of Fat Doves. I, I think that one for me is a B minus only because that was the one that I think you could just kind of tell the finale was most affected by COVID, at least to me. Like it, there was just some very strange choices in that finale with regard to. Like like Paul said, with the power broker, like if that was the plan all along, that could have been seated a little bit differently. the 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 ultimate theme of like you know, um, the journey that that Sam and, and Bucky went through and everything with Elijah was the heart of the show, so that kept it you know well worth watching. But definitely, you know, for Marvel standards, I think a dud of a finale. And then Loki just unabashed a like yeah. I don't know what I was expecting coming into this. I mean. You're coming into the third series. You're going bang, bang, bang. It's a it's a ballsy premise. Like if it, it it's not entirely clear before you're even getting into it, like what it's about, other than some vague time travel notion. If it misses the mark, you really run the risk of like people starting to kind of say, "I don't know about this MCU stuff, man." They're just kind of throwing shit at the wall. And instead, it's completely energized the remainder of Phase Four, and like in a way that has put to to rest all any doubt that anybody ever had that Disney plus is like a fundamental component of phase four. Like you have direct through lines from black widow driving you not to the next movie, but to a Disney plus series. And you have an action in a Disney plus series. It's going to be the basis for at least two, if not more movies. So like essential to just uh, people trying to keep up on it. Great acting. Uh, it what it didn't have like if you think back to like the Netflix shows, it's just like yeah, this is just like twelve episodes because it has to be, and it's just like meandering around. Like every episode was an individual kind of story that all felt very different, and then you just take a complete shot in the finale, and if you don't get it right, retroactively ruins the whole thing, and you nail it. So like not only they they jumped off the highest high dive and did like three flips and they they landed it. So <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to go with what you guys said. I said it a million times. I feel like a broken record, but Loki was the show that we didn't know we needed. And I was yep. so low on it. And when I say so low, I just mean compared to the three that were coming out. And honestly, to me, it was, it was the best. I'm going to give it an A as well. Um, I want to openly admit that I am probably a little bit biased on my fat dubs just because I was like Paul said, pretty insulted by the end of WandaVision. I did love WandaVision. And if uh, Zach, if you remember correctly, I was more along the lines of it. I believe I gave it like a B plus or something. I think you gave it a B plus. I think, yeah. uh, I think Luke gave it a C minus. Yeah. Though. Luke wasn't <laughs> feeling it. And Luke has been back since. So <laughs> 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 Ralph Boner finished Luke off the MCU. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I I think that after WandaVision and me feeling a little insulted with us putting so much effort into all the theories with Fat W's going back to the MCU formula where it was just like straightforward. We haven't had it in so long because of COVID and it was just a straightforward story with our boys, Bucky and, and Falcon um, and now Cap. I just felt good while watching it. I do agree that it didn't end on the strongest note, but I'm going to rank it Loki with an A. Fat Dubs ranked number two. I guess I'll just say like a B plus. Yeah, B plus, I guess. And then I'll go B for WandaVision. Three series that are all with, uh, you know, seemingly second tier or lower characters that are all Bs or higher. And I've rewatched a couple episodes of all of them. So, uh, you know, Disney Plus just killing it. Disney Plus killing it. Disney Plus giving us characters that are going to be relevant and mainstream for the rest of Phase 4 and beyond. Driving up the value of some of my older comic books. Let's there go. There you go. <laughs> Zach, Zach the comic guy. Hit him up if you want to buy a comic book off him, man. It's... Zach's playing chess. We're all playing checkers, man. He's got to get those first appearances, man. You got to build your portfolio here. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nah, for sure. Disney's killing it. And me personally, I've come to love the episodic releases. I love to say that I get excited for them throughout the duration of a week. And now that they're dropping midweek, like these Wednesday releases, it, it, it's been so fun. I watch it with my roommate. It's It's been a great time. But I think we just hit our series grades so we're ready to wrap up here that's going to be a wrap on loki season one you just heard us say how much we loved it a's across the board so you better believe we'll be back for season two and most likely for what if coming out next month once again thank you zach the comic book guy for stopping by i'm sure that's not the last we're going to see of him as well and as always, if you like what you heard, give Vinchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on VinchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Vinchtown TV, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.